So, yeah. Yeah, I, I do have a share tonight. And, so, yeah. About what? Yeah. I heard what you said, yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I, it was a nice orb. I really, I can't deal with it now. I put the questions, the panorama on the Shampoo Pack The Sarazim I've just called, she said they look really interesting. Is it okay if can they join? Can they listen? And is it okay if Mendy forwards it the link to other people? Do other people talk if they're mainly you talk and in between people can write on the chat and then you address that. I'm happy about that.
this does not, this is not a, Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have a problem. I won't be able to be online with the Zoom and to be online with the with the living title. Welcome everyone. Can you hear me? 
Any any yeses over there? Can you hear? Yes. Oh, good. Oh, loud and clear. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. I don't know whether Rabbi Danzika is online yet. But what I want to, the first 15, we, we've asked him to speak at, at um, 8 o'clock, which is 11 o'clock in Rostov. And before that, we wanted to have a video. So my son Mendel has prepared something, which is, he's going to try to share it. If not, I have another um, thing which I have, which I would be able to share. It's a documentary um, about Rostov, but it's, it's largely in Russian and with Hebrew subtitles. So I would prefer to have Mendel's trying to get that the one with the English subtitles um, online. So Mendel, you tell us when you're ready. But meanwhile, we're going to say Lachaim. It's a Fabrengen. So ah. then we'll sing the Rebbe Nishmas Eden's Nigen, the Rastova Nigen. The Rastova Nigen and the is the minor nigger. Um, okay. Time. Okay. <laughs> Always get mixed up with names. Okay. Yeah, 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 Chaim Yaakov, 
You remember? This is the safer we began learning together in Rabbi Sadak's house. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Run up. Fine. <laughs> I think it's on a matter of order. We should certainly say uh, uh, we're very sad uh, to hear about the passing of uh, the emeritus chief rabbi, and I remember going back from probably about 50 years ago when he would come for Shabbos to Stamford Hill as part of the Pegasus. Um, I'm sure Yaakov Korah also remembers this. Uh, he was one of the, the John Rebbe Sachs was one of the more outspoken of the students, but uh, he would come and that was before he went to Kvachabad, etc. And uh, he has many schusim and uh, Mendel, any in any progress with the video? Otherwise, I'll put on the other one. If anyone is able to share a URL bar, I could post it on the chat and then you could share it. You know, Mendel, I think we'll, ju we'll just share the other one finished. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. All right. So now. Um, I'm going to share. So this is, I'll, I'll perhaps I'll give a little bit, I'll disturb you with a little bit of uh, translation in English as it goes along. So there we are. Danziger is here. Danziger, Rabbi Danziger is here. We're going to first have this um, clip of um, Rostov. Um, can you see the clip? Yeah. I'll make it bigger, though. I, he says, he's saying he was born in Rostov in that year. He had, his, It's an aerial view of Rostov, and the song which is being sung now is known as the Rostova song. This is the house of the Rebbe Rashabin. He was born opposite the house of the Rebbe in 35 Bratsky Street. His grandfather saw the Rebbe. He says his grandfather remembers remembered the meetings of the Eden. Her name is Biryam Baylor. Born in 1926. 
her, her grandfather had a friend called Nochem Golander. So this friend of her father, the grandfather, Nochem Golander, lived also on Baratsky Street. She was born on the second floor of this house. Rebrashab was very friendly with Nochim Garland. Nochim Garland was aware of the house being for sale, so he recommended the Rebbe to buy it, which he indeed, uh, indeed he bought it. This is Rabbi Yitzchak Kogan. This is the dwelling of the Rebrashab in this, uh, subsequently the Rebrayats. This is where the Rebbe passed his last few moments in this world. He asked for his, he should be brought in the room where he would say chesidus, and that's where he passed away. His last words were, I leave the, I leave the uh, writing, my manuscripts to you. Lesson for all of us. If you want to connect with the Rebbes, it would be through studying the chesidus and to live accordingly. Back into Miriam Bela's house. <coughs> when she was born, the Rebbe was no longer, the fifth Rebbe was no longer alive. Not for me. Not for me. No, no. She's talking about the fact that he was, he was re-entered, reburied in a new place. The... She's talking about the time when they had to reinter the uh, the Rebbe Rashab because the 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 old cemetery was being uh, developed for something else. They're going to make a sports center, and therefore the old cemetery would be destroyed totally. My grandfather involved when they had reinterred the Rebbe. Really Tells us where it was re re relocated to. In. Something was shocking which was for the people there. And whenever a grandfather will talk about it, you take a breath. When they opened the coffin, the, um, the body was intact. It was a shock for everyone who was there. They were gasping, you couldn't say anything. I knew long ago, for long that the Rebbe Rashab is buried here, I knew that he lived here. Well, 
all my relatives are buried in those in that um, cemetery where the Rebbe Rashab is buried. When Jews arrived to the cemetery, they would point to the right and they would say, "That's where the, the tzaddik is buried." They didn't know him, but the Rebbe Rashab, or they knew that the great rabbi was buried there. This was a known fact. Is explaining what the Rebbe Rashab sees a um, deterioration in Yiddishkeit in, in his town, assimilation. What we've seen today is we're seeing a, a, a resurgence of Yiddishkeit, mar Jewish marriages. We've had some brisses, we've had some weddings here. Jewish clubs, everything is expanding. This is thanks to our rabbis, obviously. But truthfully, they are only branches. The uh, trunk, the, the, the source is from the Rebbe Rashab is buried here. The, when the Rebbe lived here and is buried here, his yeshiva was here, there was a yeshiva here. And the, the sixth Rebbe continued this and the seventh Rebbe now it's come back, it's very important. Couldn't imagine the, uh, the resurgence of Jewish life without the input of the Rebbeim. Last year we started learning chitas. For us, this was like a new victory. It has to in, 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 invest in his Yiddishkeit. We have a custom. Whenever we have a problem, where do we go? We go to the Rebbe's oil. My mother wasn't, my mother was ill. I went to the oil and I told the Rebbe, Rebbe, help me. I want my, my mother should feel well. When my mother will recover, I won't. I won't be. Uh, I won't remain in debt. I'll give a hundred shekel, a hundred ruble. He's 41. He says, Jews from, from uh, America want to, want to visit the oil. I wasn't brought up in this tradition. I was asked to accompany them. So I asked them, 
I asked them, did you want to come to visit the USSR? They say, no, I came to the Rebbe's oil. Just for the oil? I ask, yes, just for the oil. That's what they came for. We are not a big city, not the most Jewish city, but the fact that Jews from all over the world come to visit, you can't stand indifferent when we visit, visit the oil. We can feel his presence, he's here. We're very fortunate, we people of Rostov. We have the time, we have the opportunity every time, whenever, simply, literally. If only my parents and grandparents were able to be part of this. When I stand by the oil and I look down at the grave, I think if only my grandmother and grandfather would have been able to be here. This is in front of the house of the Rebbe Rashab on Bratskaya Street in Rostov. Now they're visiting the cemetery. Hashem, God gave us a gift. In fact, the fifth Rebbe came to our town and we can always be with him. People come specially to visit, but we live here. We are very fortunate.
Okay, I think that's it. Rabbi Danziker. Yes, Shalom Aleichem, Agutavoch. Agutavoch. Oh, Shkoyach for joining us, and Lachaim, Lachaim. And the floor is over to you. Lachaim. Lachaim, Lachaim, Lachaim. Let me just. I want to see the Chsidim I'm for bringing with. One second. Oh, oh. Lachaim, Lachaim. Lachaim, Agutavoch. It's a big schos. First Lachaim, Baruch Atah, Adonai, Lachaim, 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 L'chaim, Oh, It's a big schus for me to be for bringing with with Choshevim, Chsidim, and Anash and Shluchim in England because I had the schus and the pleasure to spend a year in Kingsley Way, one of the better yeshiva years that I recall. I started my first year in yeshiva. It was in London. And it was a very special and uh, important year for me. So this is the first time I'm connecting with uh, with London, albeit uh, via Zoom. But uh, but that's uh, we're not going to complain. In these times we're living in, this is uh, more than adequate. So usually on Chav Cheshem, it's a very special time for us here in Rostov. We have uh, normally a lot of Anash comes here. They come here to uh, to be mechazek, the local kehila, which uh, for us is a very 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 Big chizuk. When we have someone coming, and people sometimes say, "Why, why come back to Russia? We have Oyo, we have 770." But, but I believe when people come here for a visit, it's we're not coming specifically for one oil or over another oil. The rabbeim are everywhere, but we come here personally to to somehow inspire also the local yidden. So uh, you know, I can't begin today without saying the story. It's not a story. Everyone knows the 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 Maisa from the Rebbe Rashab. Uh, when he was five years old, but I'll say why I want to just repeat this, the, the story when he came to Zayde, right? It was a uh, uh, and uh, he asked why was Avram Zeche that he was, uh, the Hashem was Nisgal at Avram Avinu. And what did the Tzemach Tzedek say when a year that 99 years old decides to do a bris is uh, deserving of this. So this is a story we all heard many times, the Rebbe repeated many times, but um, what, what I wanted to discuss tonight, what I wanted to say tonight, was that really the, the Rebbe Rashab and the Rabbi, the Friedrich Rebbe, and our Rebbe, the Messias Nefesh, they had for, for Klal Yisrael, for Yiddishkeit in the hardest of times, was no less than that that Avram, that Avram Avinu had. And it's something that we see to this very day with the holy Yidden that live here in Russia. So the Rebbe Rashab took a chrayis, for all of the Eden, there was, you know, there are many rabbeim, many different chassidic, um, uh, uh, chassidim and, and, and different factions that usually focused on their own chassidus, right? You had a rabbi that focused on his chassidim, and that was it. The Rebbe Rashab went out to worry about every single yid living in Russia and elsewhere. So it was the hardest of times. The Russian Revolution took place. The Rebbe came to Rostov. And uh, the first few years are very turbulent, very difficult until he decided, you saw in the video, the house that the Rebbe Rashab bought. The Rebbe Rashab was there for a year and a half. So it was a very difficult time. But nonetheless, the Rebbe Rashab worried for all of the Yidin. Anyone that knows a little geography, there's a Kavkazi Yidin that live around Rostov. So Kavkazi Yidin come from Southern Russia. So they, they, they had tremendous hardships and difficulties. They didn't have any Rabbonim. So even the Nazis, when they came here and they occupied Southern Russia, they killed every single Jew. So in Rostov, 
they killed uh, 20,000 Jews. It was the largest mass killing, killing of Yidin. When they saw Kafkazi Jews, they thought they weren't Jews, but they didn't kill them. The Rebbe Rashab sent his shluchim to the Kafkazi Yidin so that he should protect and save these Kehillahs. So there's a tremendous Mr. Snefesh the Rebbe Rashab had, and it was passed on in the, the famous story of uh, the Friedrich Rebbe, which happened here when he gathered the Chassidim and he made a minion that they're going to take Achrayas for the Yiddishkeit and, the, and, 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 and for the Yidin all over Russia. But um, what I wanted to talk about today was the Mr. Snefesh that, that the Yidin in Russia have. Um, I've had the the schus to be on shluchas here for the past 11 years, and before that I had the schus of being on shluchas in California, which is a bit of a, a bit of a, if you could say uh, a bit of a you know there's a little bit a little it took a, it was a little a, it was a little challenging the move let's just put it to put it mildly um, to come from California to Rostov, but not a day goes by that I don't sit here and think what a schus it is to be here amongst Yidin that have a mysterious nefesh, which I ask myself, where do they get this mysterious nefesh? Where do they get the mysterious nefesh where after 70 years of communism, where after the multiple occupations of the Nazis that killed every single Jew in the city, where do they get this mysterious nefesh to want to embrace Yiddishkeit, to want to come out of the woodwork and to go do brisim at ages that are almost as amazing as the age Avram Avinu did it, to go ahead and, and, and begin keeping kashras and Shabbos in a city that has no kosher restaurants. Where do they get this from? There's only one answer, I think, is that the Rabbeim have left their mark on every single Jew. They left this dormant Mesir Snefesh that exists in every single Jew in Russia. And this Mesir Snefesh has been coming through the Rebbe's shluchim that he sent here, through the help the Rebbe sent throughout Soviet times, these hidden underground shluchim that came here, if it was Rabbi Levi, if it was other ones that came, and it, it, it kept this spark going. And today it's it's it, it's it, it's just, it's expanding. It's showing. It's we're feeling it. We're seeing it. So I want to share with you um, a few stories. You know, in, in this video that we just watched, we saw a lady by the name of Miriam, Miriam Bela. So I want. She was an amazing. She was an amazing Jew, who had tremendous mysterious nefesh throughout Soviet times to keep Yiddishkeit going. So uh, she was a Jew that, that, that in recent years, the past 20, 30 years, obviously, like many other Yidin living here, have challenges. Begashmias, they earn a, a $150 uh, a pension, and it's very hard to live off of that. But she was so proud of her Yiddishkeit, so proud of who she was. She asked me for a svarim. She wanted to learn. I take my kids to her house. She had no children, and her husband passed away, and she lived alone. And we'd come, I'd take my kids, we'd go there, we'd call her Bubby Miriam. And uh, together we'd go there thinking, you know, to, to, to get inspired from her. So one day I get a call from Miriam and she tells me, Rabbi, I need to see you urgently. When you get a call from a nine-year-old woman, you take it. And I said, I'm going to come to you. No problem. Do you need me to come to you today? She said, no, I'm going to come to you. So I told her, Miriam, you're at the time, I think she was 88 years old. Or you're 88 years old. You don't need to schlep to me. I'll come to your house. She said, no, I must come to you. I'll be by you in a half an hour. She shows up in the shul, our ancient shul. It's called the Canton. It's the Saldatska Synagogue. And she comes up to my office and she takes her purse and she tells me, she says that I am now going to be do a mitzvah that I've dreamed of doing my entire life. And she tells me the following story. She says that I, uh, I lived here through the Nazi times and it was a terribly difficult time. I barely survived the war. And since then, until today, I've been dedicating my life 
to bring Yiddishkeit back, to teach people Yiddish, to teach them about our traditions. I love this show more than I love my own home. But there's one mitzvah I could never fulfill, and that's the mitzvah of tzedakah. You, you know, Rabbi, in what house I live in, she lives in a small, tiny, one-room apartment, which is also the living room and also the kitchen. It's like a studio, but it's not a studio. It's a, a 25 square meters. She says, you know my means? I could never give tzedakah. She said, today I'm here to give you tzedakah. And she opens her purse and she hands me $200. I look at this woman. $200 is about a month and a half of pension for her. I look at Miriam. I tell her, Miriam, what are you doing? How are you giving me this money? She says, today I received restitution money from the German government. I received $2,000. And the first stop, I just picked up this money from the bank. This is the first money I received from the Germans. And I said, the first stop has to be our beloved shul. I want to come here. I want to bring money here. I want to, this money to go to whatever you think it needs to go to. But for me, this is the happiest day of my life, a day that I could come here and give tzedakah. I look at this woman, she's 90 years old, hitting 90. And what, what, what gives her joy, gives her joy is, is, is that there's a show. She tells me when my grandparents wanted to come to show, I would walk them to show and I would wait outside. I was a student in the university. I couldn't come in show. If I'd come into show, they'd, they'd kick me out of the university. So throughout communist times, I'd stand by the door. I'd wait for my bubby, my zaidi to come out, my parents come in, then I'd go back home. Then. When the Shluchim arrived in 1991, I started coming to Shul every single day. When I come to Shul, I know this is my home. I know my grandparents used to come here. My parents used to come here. And today I feel this tremendous, tremendous feeling of joy that I could come. I could actually give something. I look at Miriam. I think how difficult it is for us sometimes to go into our own wallets. And I look at her and I'm amazed. What an amazing person. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have in Russia is assimilation. When I first moved here, I, uh, I gathered a whole group of students and I far brained, I said, it's so important we have to marry Jewish because there's 95, 96% assimilation rate. What that means is if I have a Jewish day school and my Jewish day school, we have close to 100 kids, 95 kids. Out of those kids, only five or six of them have Jewish fathers. So think about the, the, the type of assimilation rate. What communism has done, it's, 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 it's you know, they, they, they no Jewish families. So I said, we have to work on the youth. We have to encourage them to marry and establish Jewish homes. And they really want to. We sat with our brain. You have to have a Jewish wife, a Jewish husband. You have to have a chuppah to establish a home. So I, I, we, we have a project in Russia, which is where we teach the kids, the students, Torah lessons every week. And then we go on a trip with them, a Jewish heritage trip to Europe. And what happens is every single year when we make this trip, one of the, one of the points, one of the places we stop at is in Auschwitz or in Buchenwald. And the reason we do that is that the kids should be misoyer, the students should be misoyer a little bit to come back, to, to, to do what they can to, to, to reconnect to Yiddishkeit. They should be you know, a little bit emotional and hopefully this will help get them back on the path. So I recall we're in Buchenwald and I was standing with about 45 students from Rostov in the gas chambers. And I stood there, I said before, you know, we're having, a, we had a moment of silence and I said, a moment of silence is very nice, but our tradition is not so much into silence. Our tradition is into doing. Our tradition is to not be silent, but to go ahead and do something. As I said, we're standing here in a room where hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters gave up their lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem. And incidentally, we come from Rostov, the city which was most affected by the Holocaust in Russia. 
the city which had the largest mass killing of Yidin. And I said, when we go back to Rostov in a few days, if we go back the same people that we were when we left, then this trip wasn't worth anything. We have to do something serious to change Rostov, to make a Jewish religious revolution. So I spoke, and that's an amazing thing in Russia, that in Russia, you don't need to be politically correct. You say it the way it is. And people are calum to take it. You know, in, a, in the States, we have to beat around the bush and you have to this. Probably in England also, you have to be very proper. In England, you have to be even more proper. Here in, in Russia, you say it to give a clap on the back and you say it, if it doesn't work, you give the clap a little harder and you give it harder and eventually, you know. So we arrived back to the hotel. Now, what happens when we're with students in Russia, you know, there's a concept of lights out in camps and yeshivas. With students in Russia, the lights go out when the sun rises. So we're standing in the lobby and they said, let's make a Farbrengen. You know, Farbrengens go very well here. Anything that has anything involved with a little Lachayim goes very well. So we're sitting in the lobby of the Sheraton Hotel in a city near Buchenwald. And we're making a Farbrengen for a few hours. It's 2.30 in the morning and I'm feeling a little drowsy. And I tell the Hebra, you know, I thought either I'm going to fall asleep soon, they'll fall asleep soon. I said, Tachlis, we have to have some type of this, this, this Farbrengen has to have some type of an ending, some type of a Uvechein. So I said, Hebra, listen, we're having a beautiful Farbrengen. We had a special trip, but bottom line is, if we go back to Rostov without making Achlata, this is useless. I want to ask you guys, what are you willing to take upon yourselves? And one girl gets up and she says, I'm going to start lighting Shabbos candles. Okay, very nice. Another boy gets up and he says, you know, I've considered putting on tefillin. I don't have them, but I've made the decision today that I'll buy tefillin and I'll put on tefillin every day. Very nice, beautiful. Another, another guy gets up and he says, you know, I'm going to keep one Shabbos every month. I'm going to keep a full Shabbos. I'm going to keep Shabbos, what it means, once a month. And a beautiful, beautiful achlotas, very nice. But then a boy, that we have this one cool boy, a 19-year-old boy at the time. His name is Vova. Vova gets up and he says, Hevre, he says, guys, what is this? Dietzki Sad, what is this? This is a preschool here. You, we come here to Buchenwald. We come here on this Jewish heritage trip and you're going to light a candle once a week that takes you five seconds? Wow, that's what you're going to do? That's what we're taking from here? Igor, very nice. You want to put on tefillin. What, you're going to go? You're going to wrap tefillin five minutes a day? That's it you're going to do? And he goes around the room remembering, he's a smart boy, what everyone said. He said, Hevre, we're coming from Rostov. Rostov is a city that was the capital of Chabad. A hundred years ago, the capital of Chabad was our city. And we don't live there because we have some schos, because we're, we live there by chance. And it's a tremendous achrayist responsibility at Vestvinast in Russian, that we come from Rostov, from a city where the Rebbe Rashab lived. So this is what I'm telling you now. I take upon myself when we go back to Rostov, that I will dedicate next year of my life to go to Yeshiva Tumchet Mimim. The Rebbe Rashab established Tumchet Mimim, the Chabad Yeshiva. There is one in Moscow. I will dedicate a full year and go to Yeshiva and consider becoming a proper Jew boy. I look at this guy, Vova. This is a young guy, 19-year-old guy, very popular. He was in some business, perhaps even shady business, but we don't ask questions here. And he, he's going to go to yeshiva. I didn't believe, you know, 
I knew to myself that love that, you know, we all made achlotas by far, but let's be honest. I don't know about you, but I make the same achlota. Usually it takes five, six times till it actually happens. We make the achlota, a few days you do it, you forget it, and the next farbrain you do it again. The next farbrain, eventually, hopefully, after five, six times, you do achlota. So I told myself, Vova, made achlota, whether or not it's going to happen, the thought counts. The th it's a thought that counts, very nice. We come back to Rostov a week later, I get a text, uh, uh, or two, three days later, I get a text message, a WhatsApp message. It says, Rabbi, do you remember what you promised you would give me if I go to yeshiva? Now, WhatsApp has a tremendously useful uh, feature where if you don't read the message, it doesn't have two check marks. So I didn't want to read it. I have a very weak spot in my heart for people that try using us for presents. Because when I was a bucher, I, I, I actually, my first fundraising for an overnight camp in, 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 um, in Russia was in London. I remember going to, to uh, Hampstead Garden suburb, going from house to house to fundraise for Ukraine for a camp we were doing. Believe me, it was a crib. 17 years old at the time, knocking on doors, said no solicitations. I said, I don't, I don't know what We learned in Yeshua, what solicitation mean? I have no idea what that is. We're knocking on the doors. Yes, we're going to Russia, Ukraine, orphan kids, come help us. So so when, when I went to camp, the way it worked, the first year I went to camp, we realized that these kids are willing to do brisim. So the first year I went there, we'd give them a Tetris game. You remember before the games that we have today, a Tetris, it was a cost $2, it just played te Tetris. So the first year in 1997, when I went, or 1998 or 97, when I went to camp, to get a kid to do a bris, you had to give them a Tetris game. When they saw that the American Bachram coming were willing to part with various prizes to get a bris, so there was a huge inflation rate. The next year they wanted a Game Gear, Game Boy. A year later, they wanted PlayStations. The next year they wanted cell phones. Before I had a cell phone, they knew there was such a thing as cell phone. They didn't even have home phones at the time, but they wanted a cell phone. And it was getting out of hand. The last year I was there, someone wanted us to connect the home phone to his house if he does a bris. It was getting out of hand. So when I hear someone is gonna do a mitzvah because, because you promised him. Now, I was at a Farbrengen in the Sheraton Hotel after we went to Buchenwald. It was my moment of weakness. I don't know what happened there. I don't remember. It was, you know, you sit with the Russian people, they make you make a l'chaim. If I made one l'chaim too many, perhaps I made a promise that I can't hold. Maybe I promised him a phone. Maybe I promised him a computer. In a moment of weakness, I may have even promised a car. So here I am thinking to myself, what did I promise this guy that for that he's willing to go to yeshiva? So I was like, you're going because of my gift. I don't want to hear. I don't want to talk. I'm not opening this message. So I don't open the WhatsApp message and there's no two check marks, Baruch Hashem for that. And I'm going on with my life. A few days later, I see another one of our youngsters who's on the trip. So I asked this youngster, tell me, when we were on the trip, do you remember that I promised anything to this guy? He said, yes, you did. I said, is it expensive? He says, uh, yeah, it's not cheap. I'm like, okay, tell me please, what did I promise him? So he says, you promised him that if he goes to yeshiva, you're gonna get him a black hat. I said, Black hat, a fedora. He said, yeah. He said that if he goes to yeshiva, you'll buy him a black hat. That's it? He said, yeah. So I opened my text message. I write this, Vova, Vova, two black hats from me. No problem. Tell me what size you are. You'll get them tomorrow. That's it. He wants to, he wants to feel like a mensch. He wants to go to yeshiva and have a black hat. I sent him a black hat. He went to yeshiva. Chof Cheshvan, that year, I called the yeshiva. The Rosh Hashanah. I said, I want the Bacharim to come to Rostov. Because I figured the, the, the Kehillah would get tremendous highest from seeing this boy that went to yeshiva. He came back to Rostov. They came to Rostov, and I said, I'm gonna give the first aliyah to this vova. He did a bris, his name is David. So I go to call him to the Torah. I say, David ben Avram. His father's not Jewish. He screams for the corner of the room, Hatomim, David ben Avram. He's been in yeshiva three months. 
he's correcting me, the rabbi, that I called him David when he's really Atomim David. So I say, Atomim David ben Avram. He comes up, he gets his aliyah, he's so happy. He's looking, he's, he's, he's glowing. This is a boy, a Rostover Yid, a Rostover Bachar, a Tom Chetim, a Tomim from Rostov, that made this tremendous Mesir Snefesh to go out all the way. This is something that you don't have anywhere else. Only here that you could take someone, turn him around, and he comes back. Since then, what is he now? He has smicha. When I leave Rostov, I could call him to come here, and he lanes. He did the whole package. He lanes better than me, don't tell him. It's a problem. I, I, I invite him to come back, to lane only one Shabbos, because if I worry if I'm gone for too many Shabbos, and they might tell me, Rabbi, stay behind. Go back to, to Canada where you come from. We'll keep David. But this is a beautiful thing that you see people changing. I want to share, I know we're a little out of ta- time, so I want to share one other story with you, and then just a point that, uh, you know, for me, the most inspiring thing, the thing that moves me most is when a Yid here does a bris. There's nothing in the world that gets close to the feeling when you look at a Jew who was born and raised in Russia. No one had a bris here at eight days old. Communism meant that the institution of a bris mill, of a concept where an eight day old boy does a bris mill, doesn't exist. It's, it, it, no one has ever heard of it. So you have Mr. Snefesh like Avram Avino that he didn't have at an older age to go and do a bris. So I, well, someone in my shul came to me, his name is Boris, a 50 year old man. He tells me, Rabbi, I want to do a bris. Very, very moved. I look at this Boris. I didn't have to push him. It's not my schos. I didn't do anything here. He comes to me. He wants to do a bris. I call up the Moyel, Shaya Shafit. He lives in Moscow. Some Reb Shaya, we have a, an order came in. We needed to come to Rostov. He tells me, okay, I'll be there next week on Tuesday. I tell uh, Boris, next Tuesday we have a bris. Now, where does the bris happen? It happens in my office. It happens on my desk. My desk becomes the operating table. We put a mattress on my desk. Any doctors here? No doctors here? We, um, we have to sterilize the room. Any doctors would know when you do an operation, you do a, a, you know, a, a, some type of a procedure, you have to sterilize the room. So I have a can of Lysol, we spray, we sterilize the room with the Lysol, strawberry flavor. They say it's better than the lime flavor. And my office is the, so Boris, I, Boris comes up, he's waiting that day. I get a call from the Moyel, I have bad news. What's the bad news? He landed in Rostov, but his suitcase didn't arrive with all the, with all the tools. I told him, listen, this Boris wants to do it. If you need a kitchen knife, we have, we have whatever you need. Tell me what you, no, he said, Chaim, no jokes. The next flight is arriving at 2 p.m. in Mitashem. Okay, so 2 p.m., we have five o'clock is Shkia. So we have three hours. It's an hour drive from the airport to us. He landed at 12. He's going to wait at the airport for two hours. At 2.05, he calls me, Rabbi, good news. The, the suitcase arrived. I'm heading to Shul. He comes to Shul goes to Mikvah, does all the preparations. Next, you know, Boris comes in my office. I'm shedding tears. I'm very emotional. I'm shedding tears before it even begins. Before the show began, he's on the bed. He's on my table. He's with the mattress. This guy, 50-year-old guy, why on earth would he choose to do a bris? I have no idea. I don't support it. I don't think it's normal. But he hasn't seriously enough. She has this thing in his heart. Tells him he has to do it. This pentelid. So he's lying on my, on my thing. And we're, we begin the bris. In the middle of the bris, there's a knock on the door. I go to the door, I open the door, and there's a thir- uh, 13-year-old boy, Nikita. And he tells me, Rabbi, is the Moyle in town? I said, yes. He learns in our school. His father is not Jewish. And we just met him this past summer in camp. He says, I want to do a bris today. I told him, are you sure? He said, yes. I said, does your mother know? 
He said, I, I, you know, when I was back uh, a Bachar in Ukraine, we do Brisim. Not always do we ask the parents. And I learned the hard way. You always want to make sure the parents know. When they send their kid to camp and he comes back with the bris, it's not always the easiest thing. So I told him, does your mother know? Yes. So I come back into the Moyel. I say, we have to hurry on Boris because we have to fit in Nikita before Shkia. Now, for some reason, I said it in Russian. Boris heard this. He's like, no, 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 don't rush. There's no rush. Take your time, Shaya. Don't rush on me, please. Okay. 15 minutes before Shkia, Nikita gets on the bed and gets on the table and we're doing a, a, a bris on Nikita. He's terrified. He's shaking. He's mamish, terrified like I've never seen before. He has this huge fear and, I'm, and, and we're doing the bris. I said, Nikita, you're sure you want? Yes, I want to do it. You can see he's having a panic attack. I told him, Nikita, what do you like? You like basketball? Yeah, I told him to talk about basketball, the NBA, whatever you want. We did the bris on Nikita. After the bris, we're sewing him up. And I'm asking Nikita, why did you decide to do a bris today? Tell me, why did you do a bris today? You're terrified. What would lead you to doing a bris? He told me, Chaim, this summer, I went to your overnight camp. And for me, overnight camp is our biggest pull. The Rebbe said what a camp does. You know, why was the Rebbe so big into camps? It's the 24-hour Avira. For me, the biggest thing is our overnight camp. So he says, I was in camp in the summer. And on Shabbos, that counselor said, who wants to get an aliyah? I knew that I turned 13 a few months ago. And I said, I want an aliyah. They promised a bracha for you and for your family. So the head counselor said, it's going to cost you money. You're going to, it's going to cost. You're going to have to pay. So I told the head counselor, I don't have money. He said, no, no, no. We don't charge you money. You have to do a mitzvah, a big mitzvah. What mitzvah are you going to do if we give you an aliyah? So Nikita's thinking. And Nikita said, I decided, my counselor told me that the most important mitzvah for us is a bris. I'll do a bris. So I said, I'll do a bris. So the head counselor announced, Nikita is going to do a bris, we'll get an aliyah, but there's one problem. The head counselor says, I live in Moscow, and you live in Rostov. Nikita said he's not going to do a bris right away. He said he's going to do a bris within three years. So the head counselor said, wait a minute, how do I know you're going to do it? I need a guarantor. I'm going to go back to Moscow. You're not going to do it, and we gave you an aliyah. So Nikita looks up at his counselor, a beautiful boy, an 18-year-old boy from Rostov, Shalom, Shalom Shapira, a boy that became from on his own, started keeping Shabbos, Kashras, an amazing yid, he looks up at his counselor and he says, he will be my guarantor. When they say he will be the guarantor, the head counselor says, no questions, we're going ahead with this. And they gave him an aliyah. Nikita looks at me and he says, you know what happened to Shalom? This Shalom is dear counselor, this beautiful Baal Tshuva of ours, someone who gave his life for Yiddishkeit, was killed in a car accident a few months before the Moyal came to Rostov. This beautiful boy was like a son to us, he was driving a few hours away from Rostov. He was hit head-on collision and he was killed. And Nikita looks at me and says, how could, I, how could I wait three more years to do a bris? I said, I'm gonna do a bris within three years. How can I wait three years when I know that Shalom is waiting for me? When, it, when the bris was over, we made the, the, the bracha. We gave the naming ceremony. I took the Kiddush cup. I looked at him and I said, he looks at me. I said, no, what name? He says, what do you think? Shalom. For his counselor, I choked up. How do you look? You look at a boy, a 13-year-old boy. His father's not Jewish. He knew nothing about Yiddishkeit. He's taking a Jewish name on this day in honor of his counselor, Monsieur Snefesh, like I've never seen before. So I say, Shalom, Ben Avram. And I'm about to continue. He's like, wait a minute. Dove there. He's adding the Rebbe Rashab's name. It's going to be Shalom for his counselor and Dove there for the Rebbe Rashab. Not a dry eye in the room. We finish this. We go downstairs we make a little meal and now he says now we have to go to the oil to the Rebbe Rashab I want to write my first pun with the Hebrew name I look at this boy what Mr. Snefesh 
what a tremendous, tremendous boy this is. He knew, how does this happen? How does he have this mysterious nefesh? Where does it come from? Who gives him this inspiration to come? It wasn't me. What was it? It is his neshama, the rabbeim that lived, Yechsidis, that began in Russia, has installed inside every single person some special spark. It was dormant for 70 years. It was sitting aside for so long, and suddenly now it's coming out. Suddenly now people are running right and left doing tremendous mysterious nefesh. You know, before I moved here, when I told people, and I'm, I'm ending now, Rabbi, uh, before I moved here, I told my friends, they asked me, why are you moving? I said, we're moving to Russia to inspire. We're moving to Russia to push, you know, to push. Now I'm living here 11 years. I could say one thing, that more than we inspire, we get inspired. So I think the message is, the message is that, you know, we demand of everyone, Mr. Snefesh, we demand of everyone to change. We as Anash, as Shluchim, as Rabbanim, we're always telling people that they have to become better, they have to do more. But I think we should ask ourselves the same question. How We know how hard it is to change ourselves. When we want to do something more, when we want to take something up, it's so difficult. And yet we demand of these people that we deal with on a daily basis, these community members, these Yidin, that they should do changes that are much bigger than anything we've ever done. So I think the message is that uh, if, if, if these tremendously uh, inspire, inspiring Yidin have what it takes to make changes, how much more so we could change something within us. And one last thought about the Rebbe Rashab, there was a chassid that lived in Rostov, in, um, in 1918, he went to the Rebbe Rashab and he told the Rebbe Rashab, I want to leave Rostov. The, 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 the things were getting difficult here. The, re, the uh, revolution took place. It became hard to live as a Yid. So he told the Rebbe Rashab, I want to leave the city so I could live as a Yid somewhere else where people won't find us. They were coming. The KGB was coming. The Mkivadah. So the Rebbe Rashab didn't tell him, don't leave. The Rebbe Rashab didn't tell him, you must stay. The Rebbe Rashab told him, if you leave, who's going to stay behind? That was the message. If you leave, who's going to stay behind? What happened to this chassid? His name was Mordechai Lifshitz. In 1918, when he heard this from the Rebbe Rashab, he decided to stay in Rostov. In 1920, the Rebbe Rashab was nostalgic. Mordechai Lifshitz remained in Rostov. In 1923, the Friedrich Rebbe left to Leningrad, and, Moish, and, 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 and Lifshitz stayed, Mordechai Lifshitz stayed in Rostov. 1942, the Nazis occupied Rostov. He went into hiding. They killed every single Yid in the city and he stayed in Rostov. In 1960, he was the last remaining from Yidin Rostov. Long beard. There were years that he had no kosher meat, so what did he do? He didn't eat meat. He ate fish for the whole year. In 1969, he, was, he passed away and he's buried a few plots away from the Rebbe Rashab. What did the Rebbe Rashab tell him? He didn't tell him, don't leave. He told him, if you leave, who's gonna stay behind? I think that's a message for all of us, both Shluchim, both Chassidim, Anash, anyone that we have to stay the course. The Rebbe gave us a mission. The mission is to bring Mashiach. Sometimes we want to take the easy way out. Sometimes we or, or a shlichas, we're saying it's getting too hard. It's getting too, too difficult. Let's go somewhere. When it happens to me, and it happens quite often, when you live in Russia, sometimes you wonder, could we handle this a problem? I think about Mordechai Lifshitz. And if he, because the Rebbe Rashab told him, if you leave, who's going to stay behind? That was strong enough to keep him going for so long, how much more so, that we, that we're shluchim or that we're a nation, the Rebbe gave us a mission that we have to do something, that we should have the koiches and we have the koiches to do and to fulfill our mission, that we should be zeichet to the coming of Mashiach. Amen. 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 If anyone's ever in the area, come for a visit. We'd be very happy. When I used to live in California, I tell people they'd come every week to visit us. For the past 11 years, let's just say few have taken up the offer, but. Um, 
with the offer is there. I'm the Chaim Hatzlocha Rabbo Muflogo. And uh, I think on behalf of everyone, a very big Yashikayach to Rabbi Shliach in Rostov, who for him it's 11.30 now, actually 11.35, but um, we wish you a tremendous Hatzlocha and we always look to the Shlichas in Russia and she, we get tremendously inspired and we see by seeing the the uh, tremendous changes which have taken place uh, over there over the last 20 years so thank you and now we're going to switch from the uh, Fabrengen mode we're going to switch to the Halacha session which we have a weekly uh, panorama of Halacha and I'd like to welcome everyone There's those who uh, who are here before and those who have joined us just now and so We'll just go straight to um, the questions that we have, which, which were communicated before Shabbos. Okay, following on from last week, we had the discussion about making um, art out of uh, foods. And I was reminded, on Arab Shabbos, I'm surprised that no one uh, reminded me about the Tzimach Tzedek when he was three years old. So he was an orphan. His mother had uh, passed away when he was a small baby, a small boy, and uh, he would hang around the Alter Rebbe's room, his, his grandfather's room. And when the Alter Rebbe would pair, wear his tefillin, so the Tzimach Tzedek would take, little, would take potatoes and shape them like tefillin, and he would put in strings and he would run around in the room. There's a whole long story about this. And many years later, he was once running around while the, during the Maimur. And one of the chassidim thought he would tell, tell him to leave the room because he's disturbing. The Alter Rebbe said, he's, He can hear and he's listening and you'll, you'll know. And many years later, with the first, uh, one of the first memorim, which the Rebbe, the Mokhzedek said, it was the Maimur, he was repeating what he had, the Maimur, which the Alter Rebbe had said while he was running around with his potato filling and with the strings um, attached. So... According to the Mr. Burevat Hashayla, we can imagine filling out of potatoes, um, unless you can say that was the derech to do it in, in Russia at that time. According to the way we looked from the from the Alter Rebbe, etc. Um, so what we discussed last week is if you don't have any alternative, so then if that, he didn't have any uh, local modeling shops, so therefore that he that was the only what was the only resources available to make his model trillions he made out of potatoes. According to the Mogenavrom, it's Saglata Halot. Okay, let's now go on to our uh, last week. We also spoke about Tfilas Kalim, and this um, simulated the Shaila about people buying jars of uh, coffee, and then let's say you want to use the jar later to use it for storing rice. Now, since, again, with the focus on the Rebbe Rashab, so we have actually a story of the Rebbe Rashab, and this is at the bottom of Yeshita. Is the, um, can you see, did I, did I share it with you yet? No, okay. So, sorry about that. Okay, share, there we go. Ah. Oh. Yeah? Yeah? Oh. Yeah. So now, we have here, this is a quote from the Ksos HaShulchan, written by Reb Chaim Noe, who uh, passed away some 60 years ago. He had occasion a couple of times, or once for sure, he traveled from Eretz Yisrael, where he lived. He traveled to, uh, to the Ebra Shab in Lubavitch, and he uh, 
he sometimes mentions it, he also became was appointed as a, at some time he spent in Bukhara as a rov there, Mishlichus uh, of the Rebbe Rashab. Um, he also spent some time as the rov in Cairo. But meanwhile, he writes the following um, anecdote. Talking about new Kalim, he's actually talking about opening Kalim on Shabbos, whatever. But he says, I heard from Rebbe Foyle, the son of the Choster Borg Sholem. We know him as Folikan. So he says, well, I heard from Rebbe Folikan. And I said that the Rebbe Rashab was traveling on the train. And by one of the stations, he bought from a goy, he bought a, a cup with some water. And so then the, he was on the train and the train goes, uh, he's with the cup. After he finished drinking, he threw the cup out of the window. Now this you mustn't say too loud because it's now it's illegal to do this, yeah? But the Rebbe, he, he finished the cup of uh, the glass of a uh, thing, of, of uh, a drink. He threw it out of the window of the, of the train. And the Rebbe Chaim Noah says the pshat, because there's a shaila. How can you drink from a glass which hasn't been toveled? The only reason is because when you take the glass, you didn't intend to be coin of the glass. You only wanted to buy the I paid for the drink. I didn't pay for the glass. I never, never, I, I never, it never became mine. And if that was his kavana, so then to, to, to confirm that indeed, when he bought the glass of drink, he didn't mean to buy the glass, just the drink. So Bepoyal, he threw the glass out of the window. So this is a very interesting thing because lots of us are buying, um, we buy jars of coffee, etc., and we don't title them. Um, we don't, oh, sorry, we don't empty the coffee, run along to the mikveh and then put the coffee back in the jar. And the reason for this is, you can say in the Sefer Tevilas Kalim, it's a Sefer which the Rebbe mentions in the Sikha, in the Kutta Sikhas. Um, so he mentions that he brings from lots of poskim. The reason is that when you buy the, when you buy the jar of coffee, you're not interested to buy the jar, you're buying the coffee. Okay. Now let's, 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 let's look at this more carefully. Does, I'll tell you, I use the example of a jar of coffee, it may not be the best example. Does a jar of coffee need to be titled? Let me give another illustration. In many kitchens, you'll see a set of canisters. One that says coffee, one says flour, one says sugar, one says tea bags. Do these kind of containers need to be titled? Let's say if they're made of metal, do they need to be titled? So here we have a term called clay oitzar. Now I'm going to point to the place and this is in the Dinim of Tevilas Kalim, which is in Yoridea Simon Kufchov, if I'm not mistaken. So we have here a comment of Rebbe Kiva Ege. And here he writes where I'm pointing to, Kosova Lova Chochome, Linira de Loitzorch Tevila, the Dafke Klesuda Boy Tevila. He says here that the mitzvah of Tevila applies to Kalim, which are used for serving at the table or or, very important, a keli which you cook food, for example, and you make the food ready. But what about a keli? Let's say if I was a farmer and I had a sickle to cut grain, does the sickle to cut the grain need to be toiled in a mikveh before you cut grain? Let's rephrase the question. As a shoichet, the knife for shkita, does that need to be toiled? It's making food edible. Actually, it's in this week's Sedra, Esama Achelis, 
Machelis is the knife which makes the food edible, makes the meat edible. Now here's Mine, the food. The food is not edible though when you shecht it. Oh, oh, the answer is it's not edible right away. It's only edible afterwards. It's 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 a stage before. There we are, and here we have the Machaber writes sakin shel the knife which is used for shechting, or the knife which is used for skinning, flaying the animal. There are those who say it doesn't need to be toiveled. Ah, so here we're seeing this yesod, that although a knife for shechit is obviously used as a stage in preparation of food, but it's not going to be edible right afterwards. It's going to have to go then through roasting or cooking, and never mind the kashering in between. And therefore, the sakin shashchita, yes, mishoimer, there are those who say it doesn't need to be toiveled. Okay. And the same thing, the sun, the knife being used for, for skinning the animals. However, then we have the ramo. The yes, cholkin, there are those who disagree. It's recommended to toil this knife without a brocha. And then the Maramo continues talking about the barzalim about the you'd have a kind of roller which has pricks, how do you say points, and it would be used for piercing. For um, for piercing the matzahs, I know you know anyone who's been to a matzah bakery knows that you have a special roller to make uh, holes in the matzahs so that the matzahs shouldn't um, shouldn't blow up, shouldn't shouldn't inflate. So the Ramos says also they don't have to be tifles. So some the the, the Meforshim and the Shuchanoruk Noisekelim ask, are the barzalim this the, these these rollers? These prickly rollers, are they the same halocha as the knife of, of Shkita, etc., which he recommends to travel without a bracha? And they say, Afshin not. And they say the reason is that the knife, in other words, let's let's understand what's happened here. There are the Mechaber, the Shkhanorach has said a Shkita knife doesn't need to be traveled. Then the Ramos says you should travel without a bracha. And then we're talking, then we're talking about these, these rollers for the matzahs. What's the reason that you should travel the knife of Shkita? And is the matzah roll is the same thing. So some of the Meforshim say that there's a difference. The knife of shkita is like made for shkita, but you could cut a, cut a sandwich with it. You could cut you could cut um, fresh meat. You cooked meat with it. In other words, it's a knife take designated for an early stage of food, but it could be used for ready food. By contrast, the the rollers of the uh, the matzahs. You're not, there's nothing to do. You can, there's nothing to do with for fresh edible food. And that's it's useless for that. And therefore, what they're saying is that even a jar, even a even a knife, which is designated purpose is not for immediate use. It's for 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 only for an earlier stage, since it can be used for for immediate use of food. Then it should be toivled. That's the ramoschum. So coming back to our jar for storing, so I've, I've illustrated an empty jar of coffee to store rice. Does it require to be learned? So you you can start off and say, do not do, in other words, if it's a keli, just for storage. It's not the kind of thing where you put in ready food, you're storing rice. I just I chose that as an example, because rice in its uncooked state is inedible. At that stage, it doesn't really need to be learned. But according to the Ramo, who says since it can be used for other foods, you could use the same jar of of uh, of coffee now for rice. You could now perhaps use it for storing biscuits, for storing pretzels, and therefore it is roy to store 
uh, it's, it's not so far-fetched, it'll be used for other foods. And therefore, one would toivel it, but without a bracha. Generally, glass should be toiveled with a bracha. It's a chi of drabbonon to toivel. But here, because it's a sophic, so it should be toiveled without a bracha. And I want to throw in what the shach says on the margin. He says, when the Ramos says toivel without a bracha, he says, or better still, toivel it together with other kalim, which require Tevila without any question, and then the bracha will be for both Caleb. And in other words, we're seeing from the Shach, he says, if you have nothing else, okay, you'll do it without a bracha. But if you do a mitzvah with a bracha, so don't, don't miss out on the bracha. Um, I just want to throw in one more uh, observation, then I'll take, I'll go to the chats. And that is, Okay, my question is the following. Why, when I go to the shop and I buy a can, I buy, I buy a, 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 let's say, a, a glass bottle, a glass bottle of beer, may I drink straight from the, no, 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 it's not respectable to drink straight from the bottle, but I'm talking about no one's looking, yeah? So am I allowed to drink frame straight from the bottle? It hasn't been toiled. So then, so the, we, so the answer is, I didn't buy the bottle. I bought the beer, I'm not interested in buying the bottle. So now I'm asking the following question. What happens if I buy a food in a nice jar? And I definitely, I want to keep the jar. And I'm thinking of a, 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 a practical example. Don't see them very often, but you can buy tins of biscuits from, they used to be from Denmark, these fancy tins of biscuits and Perhaps you paid even a bit but more, more for the for the because you're by buying a nice tin. And many people would keep the tin for afterwards putting in fresh biscuits. My shyly is how can you use the tin before you remove the biscuits? Before you use the first batch of biscuits. It's a Kaylee. The whole heter is the whole heter for not having to toivel is because I didn't buy the jar. I only bought the content the contents. But if you beferish did buy it because you wanted the jar. So then you have a problem of, of Tfilas Kalim. Now, according to the Mishnah Brura in Hilkas Pesach, he says that what happens if a guy comes with a delivery, if a, if a, if a guy comes with a, um, uh, on, on Shachr Pesach, he knows that you for six, seven days, you haven't touched a piece of chametz. So he says, Rabbi, or whatever, my dear Jewish friend, here I brought, brought you a fresh roll of bread that you right at the end of your festival you should be able to. He brought an Achnish of Pesach. No, it's going to be, if I own it, it's going to be a Chambashavel of a Pesach. So the Mishnah Brewer says, you can tell him to put it down and you say, I don't want to be koiner. That's what Mishnah Brewer says. I have strong roof proofs that that doesn't work. And from Ramari means the Tshuva that saying, just in other words, when you want to have it in the long term, you don't want it now, but you do want it. So that doesn't work. According to the Marie means that doesn't work. So therefore, according to Mr. Bura, you have an Eitzah. You buy this tin of the, and you say, I don't want to be coined. I want to be coined later. According to uh, the other poskim, I don't think that works. So if you are in the position of buying one of those um, cans of you know, tins with, with these biscuits or, or whatever similar example, you're buying a, 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 a food in, in, a, in a container which you want to use the container subsequently. So then I see you have a, a problem of Tevila Skalim and there's one simple Eitzah which you have that you give it by Matona to a Goy. And you say, I'm giving it to your Matona 
and I'm borrowing it from it. And then once you've emptied the biscuits and you want to reuse it, at that point, you will be able to uh, get it back, has, regain your gift from the goy, and then you'd be able to toivel it and chay with the bracha. And I'm not just now looking at the at the uh, chats. So someone is asking here, when this fellow was with Rabbi um, Danziger mentioned about a boy who had an, a non-Jewish father, and he said he was called up Ben Avroham, but he, he has a Jewish grandfather. So you should use the Jewish grandfather's name. Uh, I, I think you're right. The tragedy, though, in Russia is that often the, the grandfather was also not Jewish. There's no, no Jewish grandfather it's all just on the maternal side so yeah but you're right that if the there is a jewish grandfather even on the maternal side that he should be um his name should be um, used in um, calling the tyrant let's move on someone is pointing out that the sakin the knife of shkite is not kosher um okay because it's used for cutting for for with blood etc but what would happen if you wanted to cut something cold with that knife so then you'd have the question of having to toivel it someone's asking about bottles and it's actually in england we also used to have to post, put a deposit I, I i hadn't thought about it let's move on um, someone's asking, can you refill an almost empty jar of coffee with more coffee? There are those who allow it. Yes, there are, in the Sefer Tevila scaling, there are those who say that it is okay. Let's move on to the next question, though. Okay, so now I've got here three questions, if you looked at the, on the list. Three of them relate to the same topic, and that is about doing business trade with Dvorim Hoasurim. So here we have a Mishnah, it's a Mishnah in Shviz, and if you can see it's on the sheet, on, on, the, on the screen, the fourth line, you're not allowed to do trade with fruit, with produce of Shviz, neither with Bechoyres, nor with Trumas, you're not allowed to do business by selling non-kosher meat, nor are you allowed to make business out of selling um, shellfish, uh, whatever, uh, creepy crawlies. So now someone asks the following, Shiloh. Because of Corona, so now there are, he really recognized an opportunity of exporting meat to somewhere in the Far East. And exporting chicken, they have for some reason there, there's no chicken there. And so he can make a lot of money of sending, um, sending chicken there, obviously non-kosher chicken, probably the margin of making the kosher would be make it, make it not, not profitable. So now, here's the question. Is he allowed to go into a business of exporting non-kosher meat to, to an, another country? Well, it doesn't matter, this country, that country. So here's, a, here's the Shaila. There's an issue of to do schoiro bedvore moasuri. To do business, and it's a clear halach in Shechonoruch and Simon Kufyud Zayin, that you're not allowed to trade with Dvorim Moasurim. Of course, if it's incidental, which means that I am a kosher trader. So, for example, Frowine's meat had a sideline, another line called canine meat. Because 
the kosher line inevitably also involves that there's going to be non-kosher. So what you're going to do with all the non-kosher you can't put in, 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 the, in the rubbish is going to be, uh, make, I'll make the kosher meat um, uh, sky high in price. So you have to sell it off to Goyim. So there, but you, you, so how, how do you, so you have a sideline. So this is called incidental. I am trading in kosher meat. I also have trefer meat. So I have another, I have an eye line. I sell trefer meat also. Fine. But here, this fellow is going to a to go into a trade to buy trefer meat, to sell trefer meat. So this is a problem. Now, the, the, now we read a Mishnah that you're not allowed to trade in trefer in the veil of trefers. What's the reason for that? Is the reason Shema Yoveli Ochloi? That you might come to eat from it, or is it Is it Dindereis or is it Dindrabonon? So here you have a Chuvas Harashbo, and towards the bottom of the page, you can see here a fascinating Loshn. It says, it says you had the Gemara, the Yishalmi in Shvius, on that Mishnah, Tmeim Heim, Matamud Loim, Utmeim Yehulochem, Tmeim Heim, the animals is the Trenishrotsim, or Tmeim Heim, what is it? Tmeim Yehulochem. So Yishami says, Echod Isur Achilo, Echod Isur Hanoyo, Pirush Isur Hanoyo Derech Schoiro. It's Isur Hano in the form of trade. Very, very interesting. So it's not a pshat that you're not allowed to take bugs, chase worms, and use them for fishing. It is Mutabah Hanoyo, but to have Hanoyo from Shkotsim or Mosim in the way of trade, that's the Isur which we learn from the Apostle. Interesting. There's a Rajbo elsewhere which says that the Posseg is an Asmachta. So it's not so clear whether it's Issa de Raisa or Issa de Rabonon, but even if it's Issa de Rabonon, there's also two ways of learning. Is it because of Shema Yovel Yochlo, or is it because of, 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 of Issa Schaira per se, not like a trade? Another, another consequence of this is, as is a Jewish boy or girl allowed to work in a non-kosher establishment, selling uh, behind over the counter, selling uh, meals, selling uh, and customers come in and they'll sell, 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 sell them meat. If you say Shema Yovel Ochla, then there's the Easter of Schreuder goes that you're not allowed to be uh, working in a non-kosher establishment because Shema Yovel Ochla, you might come to eat. In any case, it's not a welcome environment, I would imagine, but fine. Diane, can I ask you something? With Schreuder, Today you don't need to touch the food. You oh, can oh, I'll, come to, I'll, come to, I'll come to that. I'll come to that. Okay. I'll come to that. But then if you say it's with said Isra Schreider, so then uh, he doesn't the, the guy working in the in the shop, Halabai he would own the shop. He doesn't own the shop, he doesn't have a problem of Isra Schreider. Fine. The Sam Soifer was asked this as very similar Shaila about exporting meat, Nevelos of Trafus to another community, etc. And he says. It's Isus but I have a way, I have a, a, a solution. It was like one of these kind of situations where you don't even have to touch it. You, you, you get an order, a delivery from here, and it's kind of, you just direct. Uh, you're sitting in your office, smoking your cigar, and you tell them and pick up the telephone, this, deliver from here to here, and you make the money, comes into your bank account. So now, so the Mechsam says, instead of you buying from this one, and selling to this one, instead you become an agent. You're just like the, the Bishadchen. You'll say, and for your agency, you'll also charge the same money. But instead of becoming an owner, you just become a, a, an agent introducing one to the other. That's how the Chassam Soifa says. 
Uh, that's a solution. But even that he says, uh, but Yerei uh, Shemaim should keep away from this. So, so coming back to so this Shaila, so if you're not touching the stuff, it's just everything is remote. So the, the, then, then there is still, if Isra is Isra per se, regardless of Shema Yovel Yochla, then you're not allowed to trade on it. But there is a, there is a way around it. But as I said, the Soifer, it says, Shemunaf Sheyurchak Mizeh. Now, let's go on to the next question, which we have. I have, um, I, I'm, I'm, I, he works in an abattoir. And so you have access for meat for cheap. Okay. He has a non-Jewish cleaner who knows that he's a shoichet. She's very happy for him to bring her fresh meat because everything you buy in the, in, in the supermarket is... is uh, a few days old, fresh meat apparently is the Satam Ganeden. I don't know how they know what Ganeden tastes like, but fine, the Zagan said, really Gishmak, freshly fresh. So she asks the her her the balabos there, can you bring me fresh meat? So here, here we shall we and we have this Shiloh. Um the Ramo in Shukhanaruch. Let's see, do I have uh, the Ramor here? I don't know. No. So the, the Ramor in Shukhan talks about you're not allowed to buy trefer sandwiches for your workers. You have Goyeshi workers, you're not allowed to, and you need to, it's part of your duty, you have to provide them lunch. You're not allowed to go around to Sainsbury here and buy a, a, a ham salami or something. You're not allowed to do that, according to the Ramor. No, it means you have to fork out for kosher, yeah? They are, but the Shach disagrees and he says that they would buy trefer uh, sandwiches for their for their Goyesha workers and so he's Mekel. But even then, the heter which they say is the following. There's the Isus means I'm buying from him and selling to him. But they're, they're, they're buying for my workers. I'm not an agent. I'm not selling. I am a user. I am a consumer. I have Lahavdil, I don't know, Lahavdil, I have, I have animals which I feed, I have workers I have to feed, but I'm not buying it to sell. That's what some say, that's why the Ramor was not followed, Lahalocha. But here I'm more concerned, because here you are taking it from A and giving it to C, so you are a trader. One, one uh, saving factor, if you can see on the, on the screen, the, this is the Arocha Shulchan, Aroch HaShulchan is, well, he is quoting the, following the Shach, that the meaning is that they would buy non-kosher meat for their workers. And he says, a very interesting definition, he says, nizdamen, godl mizeh. What does it mean? You're not here into trading with meat. You've got here kosher workers. They need to make served lunch. So you'll, 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 it's not as, it's not your, it's not your line of business. It's, it's a side, it's very much a side, it's a sideshow. And then he says a very powerful lotion over here. The Isur is to make profit on it. And not that you have to lose because of this. And for him to have to fork out for kosher sandwiches for his kosher workers is obviously going to be a loss. And so therefore, he, that's what he, he's, he's makele. So the Kuntar Rochashulchon, we have uh, room to be makele 
if he's going to just pick up the chick, the chick, the tray for chicken from the abattoir and give it to her for the exact price, not to make a penny on it, not even to pay five pounds and give it to her as if it were six pounds, and she's happy to take it as part of her, you know, payment, but not to make any profit on it at all, then one could say that it's, uh, that then you have a heter, according to the Rukh HaShulchan at any rate, um, you're not making any money on it. Dan, why isn't there a chashash that he would eat it if he's giving it to his workers? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And th 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 therefore, I'm just seeing here that Aruch HaShulchan, he seems to be saying, if you're not making your money on it, it's, it's if you're making money, you, you feel perhaps more balabos of it. Here, you, it's just a side, I don't know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not so confident with it. I'm, that's why I was really concerned about it. And for that matter, also the next question, if my next door neighbor who's non-Jewish and I'm uh, very friendly and I'm going to the, sh to the, to the, to a shopping trip and she asks me, he asks me, can you buy me some tray for food? And so according to the Rocha Shulchan, then we do have a heter, but if you say then you don't. Now I just want to share with you just one further point. When, 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 uh, let's say, my neighbor does give me cash in front, you know, up, up front, to go and give me a fiver and go and buy me some, uh, some ham when you go to Sainsbury's. Who does the ham belong to when I buy, buy it? So here we have, this is actually in Huchas Pesach, talking about a goy asking you to buy chomets for him on Pesach. And the Alter Rebbe is quite clear here, even though the goy gave you money, even if the guy gave you money, um, it doesn't make any difference. Since the money, and the, the, he gave, in, uh, it's as if the guy had himself paid for it because there's no shlichus. So when you're buying it, even with the guy's money, it becomes yours. And so the same thing back over here. Obviously, with chametz on pesach, it's a much stricter halacha, etc. But to say that because the guy is paying you, therefore it's not yours, that doesn't really work. It actually does become yours. According to Arocha Shulchan, you got a heter because you're not making any profit on it. But uh, otherwise, um, you know, it, it, it does present a problem. Now we have to go to the chats. Okay, so this is Noisa Venoisa, it's also about Shilas. Right. Someone's asking, do disposable foil containers use more than once? Do they need tifling? So I would, I would say it's recommended to do so. Generally, I would say tifling without a broch, and I'll tell you why. When I was, uh, I had the merit to be, uh, have shimush by Rav Padve, and I'm not going to tell the whole story how Rav Mendel Futafas was instrumental in getting me in there, but um, we once had this discussion. And Rav Padve's he was of the opinion that aluminium does not tevila, does not require tevila. He was actually also makele with china, which is glazed, but that's another discussion. But aluminium says like this: the mitzvah of tevila we learn from the pasuk if it's a deraisa, aches azov es akosef es anuchoshev es abazov es abdinu evudil v'soyfaris. Silver and, and, and gold, as a cosel, gold and silver, as a barzel, which means copper and iron, as habdil, tin, vesayforas, and lead. So we've got six metals which are mentioned in Torah. Then the Rabbonon added a seventh material, which is glass, because it's molten and can be poured, therefore it's got a dim in the Rabbonon. So glass we toivel mid the Rabbonon. 
that Abono never made a Hakona to Toivul aluminium or other metals. They've only got these six metals. So it's not a Dindereisa, it's not mentioned in the Torah. It's not Dindrabonim because they didn't have access to those metals. They never said you have to Toivul all metals. So on that basis, Rav Padva was of the opinion that, that aluminium does not require Tevila. If you look in the Sefer Tevila's Kalim, at the back there's a letter from Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky, the Rosh Hashiva, I think in Torah Vadas, uh, who also takes the same view. And so even if you're going to take the stricter view and say that it needs to be Toivold, but there, there's, there's, there's room to be Meikul, and therefore, first of all, no brocha, one traveling disposable foil containers. And then, yeah, if you, but if you are, if they're more rigid and they are the kind of thing you use several times, it is preferable to travel them. Um, yeah. Now, someone's asking me, but does plastic be traveling? In the minig in Chabad is generally to be machmir with, with traveling plastic. If it's a kind of plastic which is going to be reused, I'm not talking about disposable stuff. And that's also, you can see also in there's a tshuva about it, where because plastic, if you say glass is has to be traveled because it can be melted, it's melted and then shaped. So plastic is also melted and then shaped. Although the difference is that glass can be reshaped and plastic cannot. So that remains a question. So here's our uh, the shliach from Sumi. Sorry, uh, Rabbi Raskin, some plastics actually can be melted and reshaped. It's one of the basics of recycling. Okay. Of thermal plastic or a thermal set. Very good, very good. Okay, but all right. So according to the first approach, which is Ogiret, uh, that it was not mentioned in Torah, and uh, no, it wasn't a takon de Rabbonon. All right, but that's also possibly why the Minchasitzchok is, is recommending to tie for plastic. So the Poyal in Chabad, we, when we have plastic dishes, which are going to be reused, we are machmed, but we certainly don't say a brocha by toveling plastic. Um, right. Someone's asking here about toveling, um, yeah, about disposable tin pans. There are tshuvas everybody. Okay, let's move on. Um, someone's asking about owning stocks and shares of wines. Wines are not also Bahanoa, but uh, can you make a chachila, a business out of shelling? I, when I was in Australia, there was a chassida sheed, now he's already in Elam Emes, he had a business of selling a liquor, uh, whiskeys and vodkas, but he also sold goyeshu wine. He was also a wholesaler. And I asked him, how you talking? So he said, if he would sell only um, vodka and whiskeys and not wine, so his customers, they're off licenses, they, will, they wouldn't buy by him because they're buying, they would want to buy from one supplier who sells everything. So he relied on the heter to sell to sell um, non-kosher wines also. But okay, but it's Mutabahano, and that, that was what he relied upon. I'm sure he wasn't the only one. Right. So now someone's asking me that in the lockdown period, we're buying, purchasing food for people who are isolated and we feel very uncomfortable purchasing items which are not kosher. They are hidden, but they would buy non-kosher themselves. Um, and he's asking, um, what about non-chol of Yisrael? Oh, is it Mars Ayn? All right, this is a, a interesting, very interesting and painful question. So if a Yid asks you to buy tray for him, for sure you cannot buy tray. If he's asking you to buy something like non-chol of Yisrael, then I think you are allowed to buy it for him. Because he's not, he's not a michshel. He's relying, I don't know, he's relying, but he, he, there are those who are matir, cholovstam, and he's got, he, he's, it's not a michshel for him, from his perspective. And there are ample um, poskim, you know, a, a basis to rely on that. So I don't think buying non of Yisrael would be a problem to buying, uh, for buying for a person who's not keeping kosher, but to buy, um, 
Trafe outright, absolutely not. Yeah. And as a Shliach, I guess you're going to have to find the resources to up the difference to sell them and give them kosher food. And uh, yeah, right. Uh, someone is mentioning that Rabbi Reuben Feinstein told him that um, uh, the disposable, if it's a throwout, if it's for one-off use, yes, and then generally that's the people are, are not machmir, but a lot of people use these these um, trays again and again. Okay, someone's asking, is it, is it marasain to buy the ham sandwich? Of course it's marasain, but we're, we're going one step further than that without without going to um, whether you allow it's issue of, of trade. Okay. Let's move on. Now, the next thing was we have there is a a, um, a WhatsApp group of shluchim, and although generally I don't uh, jump in to answer questions unless they are addressed to me directly, otherwise I have another full time job. But um, here's the question: you can see on the screen it's a uh, some kind of energy bar probably, and it's made. You can see the proportions: forty eight percent of dates. 99% uh, is cashews, and then raisins and cocoa. So I, I, I'm actually counted up the numbers. It makes up to 100. Yeah, those uh, numbers add up to 100. So now the question is, what what bracha? You're allowed to buy pet food. Yeah, it's okay. And there's no mara sign on that unless you're dressed up as a as a teddy bear or something. But fine, let's move on. Um, so now coming back to the bracha on this food. Now, very very interesting. It says in the Gemara, in Gemara Brachas, Tamri Vavdin Hutrima, dates which were made into Trima. So the Brach is by Priho Eitz. My Taimo, Bimulsayu Kaimi Kidimi Kora. They are still the same as they were at the outset. Says Rashi, Trima Mahu, Mamavorkinalov. That's in the Gemara earlier. Shame Trima. It's crushed, but it's not, it's not pureed. And the brocha remains for eights. So here we have, and I, I mean, I haven't dissected one of these packets, but I, I'm, I seem to recall that it's like a kind of paste. Oh, it's, 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 it's harder than a paste, but it, that's, it's kind of a thick paste made of... Um, uh, how do you say? You wouldn't say you don't crush dates. You, it's not pureed either. What would you call it? It's like um, squashed. Yeah. So that's ground. what we have. Ground grinding. It's not ground. No, ground means it comes into particles. It, that's the thing. You can't make dates into particles. Mashed. Mashed is Fsha. Okay. Okay. There we go. So there we have tamorim shemochom bayod. If you took dates and you quetched them, oh, that's a nice Yiddish word. You quetched them and you took out the the garinim, took out the pits. Um, in England we call them pips. In America they call them pits. Yeah, um, and they made from it a iso. You made a, a mush from these um, quetched uh, dates. Even though that's the norm, not the normative use for dates. They do not forfeit their privileged bracha. And the bracha is for legamri Because their appearance hasn't been totally distorted. So that's really the answer. That you look at this bar and you see it is a, it's, it's mashed dates and raisins. 
And therefore, it remains beta prio eights, and the nuts also, the pistachios are also eights, but I will also go further. It still also remains from Shiva Saminim, and therefore the Brocha Achroina would be Yalo eights while prio eights. That's, this is the Trima, which is mentioned here in the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch, this actually, this quote is from the Alter Rebbe's Beseda Bechasananin, but it's the same thing in Shulchan Aruch, it's the same halach. Okay, so then, Shilas come, I've noticed, often Shilas come in pairs. So, someone un unrelated to this question of this, um, these, these bars, these energy bars, so someone is asking me about a vegetable soup. No, everyone who learned a bit of Ibecha Sanani knows that the Brochon vegetable soup is very prehadama. So now he's asking the question what's the Brochon on the, on the vegetable? Now, he, or what about a pureed vegetable soup? So let's read the two halachas. Here, this is from the Olgen from the Alter Rebbe's Bechon Sanani from Peir Zion. Vegetables which are normally eaten cooked. Maybe shulam kemoisam. So the juice in which they're cooked, the liquid is also is also the same broche. Shaldas noitin oisam. That is the intention. When you plant those vegetables, they are planted with the intention that they will be cooked. mehem imohem oyimpas. That the 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 liquid, let's say uh, pumpkin, it's normal that you make a pumpkin soup. So, or I know potatoes or carrots. It's normal that the the, the people make soups with these with these vegetables, and it's normal to have the soup together with it. In other words, peas by by contrast. Let's say I'm just throwing an example. Peas people cook peas and they serve peas without the have special ladles before they juice to drain off. But there are, there are, perhaps sometimes you do, we do put peas in the vegetable soup, but there are vegetables, which is common that to eat the vegetables together with the soup, then that soup is Therefore the vegetable soup is even if you're drinking it on its own. Now here's where it's a bit confusing. When you have vegetable soup, which has got pieces, diced potatoes and carrots and, and peas, whatever, and there's also a juice with it, a liquid, that liquid is radoma. And even if you're having that liquid without any potatoes, without any pieces, then it's the broch is, is, is taka radoma. That's true. Now let's take a look at this table. Now this is in the new, newest edition, or almost newest edition of the Bichas Anen of the Alter Rebbe, um, put out by Rabbi Avrom Alashvili through Kahos. And so in the back of the Bechzanen, uh, he's got a table. So here we have Peiris, Morak Peiris. I, see, I, when I make a psak, I feel so much more uh, confident when I see someone else has said this. I can blame someone else. Yeah. Morak Peiris Viadakis, the kidneys, a soup made from fruit or vegetables, beans, or minidogon and grain, Shinisrasku, which have been pureed. And the appearance is totally been distorted. You can't recognize it. Then what does he say? The Brochus Shahakal. He gives a reference. Okay, so that's your answer. So when the, the vegetable soup is with pieces and the vegetable pieces are recognizable, so then not only is the, are the pieces adomo, the soup is also adomo, even if you're having the soup on its own. But if the 
soup has been pureed, if the vegetables have been pureed, everyone knows that when a, a food has been totally pureed beyond recognition, and it's not the normal thing to do with that food, then it forfeits its, its privilege and it's down, down, it's degraded, downgraded to, uh, to shahakal. And therefore, pureed vegetables become shahakal, and therefore the, the soup is, so therefore that's the answer. A pureed soup, a pureed vegetable soup. The vegetables are shahakal, so the soup is also shahakal. If the vegetables are still in, in, in uh, full form, in, you know, not in full, you know, in, 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 you recognize them, so then the soup is takahadomu. Okay, so now someone asks about what happens if you put um, uh, barley in the soup. If this, the barley is whole, that's another whole headache because whole grains is a maestri mitadoma, it's a whole, whole shiloh. Uh, if they're pureed, then, then the, he, said, uh, he says over here clearly in this uh, table, if it's pureed, then it's, it's shahakal. Okay, someone else asks, uh, what about if you have croutons in the soup? And the answer is the croutons in, let's say chicken soup, yeah? Um, as I've said perhaps before on this year, that the whole week is, is provided from by Shabbos. So on Sunday, you have the leftovers of Shabbos. And if you had not so many guests on Shabbos, on Mondays also you have leftovers of Shabbos. So if tomorrow for lunch, you're going to have some chicken soup and you put in some, some um, croutons. So the chicken soup is shahakal. Uh, and the croutons are mazonas. The, because they're not cooked together, so the croutons remain mezoin. So it becomes like two separate entities and you'll have to make two brachas. And the, the order would be first make a, a, a mezoinus on the croutons and then you make a separate bracha shahakal on the soup. Okay, let's go on to the next question. Um, I know this, someone's asking if it's the derech to make, if it's the derech to make a soup from this. Yeah, I mean, um, what's, the, what's the story? What's the bracha on mashed potatoes? It's mashed potatoes. Everyone knows this. This is how the, it's normal to plant potatoes to mash them, and therefore the broch is 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 priadomo. <laughs> I remember I was a bocher, and I asked him Salman Shimon. Um, it was in seven seventy. I asked him what broch do you make in chocolate? It's famous discussion. So he says had So but chocolate is made from from AIDS. So he says, he points out, where from down the basis does it give argument for pre -hates? He points in all around 770. Who knows that it's made from pre -hates? Which I'm not so sure. Uh, you have in the Sefer from Dying Kraus to Manchester, as I guess, and in Makoira Brocha, he has a whole discussion. Uh, he's more noted to say that the Brocha and chocolate is eight, but the Minagoilim to say Shahakal. Let's move on. Um, here is a question. A child was Megayer. A child was Megayer uh, with the mother. This is back in Ukraine, and now the child is the, the girl has now turned turned bas mitzvah. Is there a need for some kind of so? What you have is a child is toveled as a gear. It's called gear al das bestin, and there is a concept that the child can actually be moiche, can 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 uh, when they turn come of age, they can say I don't want this. And so is there a need, if, this was a question, is there a need for the child to formally uh, accept their Yiddishkeit or does it just happen automatically? So here we have, this is from the end of Hilchus Geiris. You have the note, it says it's a simreish samaches. So let's read the loch inside. We have another couple of minutes. Goi koton. If a non-Jewish non child, 
the father, I guess the Jewish father, I guess, um, if he doesn't have a father, perhaps he means a Jewish father, I'm not, I'm not sure, I didn't, didn't think about it. If he wants to be Megayer, and the mother brings him to, to the to Bezdin, so Bezdin can be Megayer, the child. A child doesn't really have the power of decision, but the mother and the Bezdin can do a, an act of merit for on behalf of the child, and as if it's, if it's his absence, they can do to have a favor for him, and they can meet. Then it says, when this child becomes of age, they have the option of saying, I don't want it. And if the child at turning of age says, I don't want it, then he does not, is not considered like a Jew who's become a heretic. He's a goy. So now what we're seeing here in Shulchan Aruch is that there's no need for the child to make a formal declaration, I am accepting Yiddishkeit. It's not necessary. So long as the child is not moiche, it doesn't say, I, I want to go away from this, the child remains a Yid. And so by default, the child is a Yid. So there's no formal need. And actually, um, I once had this conversation with Dein Ehrentreus, Gesund. And he also said similar, there's no, there's no um, need for a formal um, procedure to confirm the Yiddishkeit. Now, as I said, Shiloh's come in droves. So on Friday, I got a call from a shliach somewhere in Europe. And here's, here's the interesting story. The, um, before I go further, tell you that, that story, it says in the Neusik Halim that this idea that a child can be megay, can, can be moiche is only if he was misgayer without a parent, but if he was misgayer with a parent, brings in Pischetur, then he cannot be Moicha. So here the Shiloh, which I got on Friday after I'd already typed out this list, was a couple, he is an American Jew, she wasn't Jewish, they went through a gear 10 years ago, and, he, and, and, and uh, now they're not keeping anything. Now they want to make a Bar Mitzvah, well, they want them to have a bar mitzvah. So they're traditional, you know, three day a year. And that's that's the level. So now they want to make a bar mitzvah for the boy. Now this boy was was born not Jewish, and there was a gear al das best. Now that he's not living a Yiddish life. So here becomes a question: Can now know his minafkimina? said it's Can the shliach make a bar mitzvah? <laughs> a big shaila, yeah. So. Uh, so my, so I, my, I asked him, be mevarer, if right after the gear, were they keeping Yiddishkeit at all, right after the gear? If for the first couple of years, first whatever, the first short period even, after the gear, they were keeping Torah mitzvahs, then the gear was an authentic gear of the parent, of the mother. And then if the gear of the mother was authentic, so we just quoted from the Piskachuva from Poskim, that then the child cannot be moiche. So the child that the bar mitzvah is a legitimate bar mitzvah. If they never kept anything, then uh, then, then, the, then they should be making a bar mitzvah. I'm told, I'm here on the chat, that someone's telling me that the Manchester Bezdin makes a point of contacting the child converts at the Bar Mitzvah or Bas Mitzvah to give them the option. Okay, they're going to Lechayr Lefni Meshur Sadin, but Minadin Lechayr, they have, uh, it's by default, it's not necessary. After sale service is not a bad idea, yeah. 
let's go back to the next question. Um, okay. So someone asked me, this is the last question. I'm sorry if I go another topic a couple of minutes. Um, uh, the minutes, which I've, you know, I always say in the lesson when the children are talking in the lesson, I say, I'm, I'm going to have to take the minute lesson another two minutes, but then the bell rings. But here there's no bell, so another two minutes. All right, so here the question I got was, a person is writing a will and is asking, does he, uh, does he need to set aside a tenth of his estate for Stocker? And I, I felt I wanted to address this. It's a common in a question uh, people are asking. So I want to explain something. The mitzvah, the idea of Meiser, is it a chiyuv? There's a discussion in Poskim, is it deraiser, midrabonon, is it a minhag? Well, there's another way of looking at it. I have a mitzvah stock. People are knocking on my door and asking me for help. How much am I expected to give stock? And the miser is my budget for stock. This is my ceiling. I can, I'm allowed to draw a ceiling and say, this is how much I'm expected to give stock. Then you have choymesh is lefnimishur sadin that you put aside, you, you, you put aside 20%, that's your budget for tzedakah. So it's, it becomes almost academic in this part of the world. Is it a chiyuv to give maisir or not? You've got people knocking on your door. Question is, how much are you mechuyuv to take out of your pocket? And we ha you have a ceiling. You, have, you, you can say up till 10, 10%. So here we have hichas and so he says here in Shukhan Aruch, this is in Chesok, you can see Reish Memtes in Yeridea, you should give as much as the Aniyim need. If you cannot afford to, to cover their needs, then you give up to a Choymesh, a tenth to Beninis. But then, then it says here in the Ramah, but Davka Kol Yomechayov, let me get that arrow in the place, this cursor, but Davka Kol Yomechayov, Abashas Moisoi, Yochil Odom Litein Litzdoka, Kol Masha Yitzet. So this, the, the ceiling limit, that limit yourself to Meiser or similar, is during your lifetime. When a person is, is preparing for afterwards, so then he can, he's not limited by the shear of Meiser. That doesn't mean he has to put aside tenth of the estate. But meanwhile, what we're seeing is, you ask Meiser, I've already done Meiser, why'd I have to Meiser again? The concept of limit of Meiser doesn't apply in Atzavor. You're allowed to give more. But then that's in Hilchus Now I'm going to the Alter Rebbe's Shechanaruch. This is in Hilchus Mechiro um, Matonagor. It's a what he says here. Sifches ein liten machuchosev maton laachelim vafilitz doke or la yiliten haniach hayorshim kach. A person shouldn't give away all of his property to tzdoke and leave his his yorshim his heirs and leave them without anything. And whoever does so is even if the Yorshim are not behaving um, as it, in a worthy manner, and goes to, and then he says, but if you leave for the Yorshim, you leave a sufficient amount for them to manage, then you can give out uh, the rest, you can give as much as you want to Tzedakah, as this referred to, he refers to Tzedakah. So my advice to this person who asked me this question and sharing it with you is you're writing a will. First of all, think about are there anyone, any, 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 do you have any dependents who need to have your support, your financial support? And that's, that's your first priority that they, and if, you, if you're not going to be here physically, but you should ensure that they have a, a reasonable source of, uh, of support, of financial stability. 
And once you've done that, then it seems to be what I'm gathering, and I say, and I believe that's a common meaning also, to take to designate a certain amount. And there's no, I don't see any clear, um, any clear instruction to dafka do my dafka it's up to the way you see but you, you you there is it seems to be a recommended practice to designate part of it that should be uh it should be used for stalker and they, it's, it's well known the thing that doing the preparing a savoir preparing a will and i would just want to throw in if you are preparing a will use a a, a from a solicitor because it's not so posh at la and it should be done in a way that's kosher la uh, and uh, it, it's known that it's a school of Arichas Yomim, and so I wish everyone a good Tavoch and Arichas Yomim B'Shodem Tovis, and thank you for joining us. And uh, sorry for overstepping the um, the margin for a couple of minutes. And we should go with Moshiach Tzedkenu, the Atzena Hakadosh, the Meher of Yameinu Mamish. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. 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 Good work. A good work. A good work.